Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, I'm in a fish and chip shop in Brunswick today. (laughs) And um, from a fish and chip shop in Brunswick to the rest of the world, Catherine de Safal highlights the universal need for community and connection in her latest novel, The Sea and Us. So, Catherine, welcome back to 3CR. Thank you. Now, none of us (laughs) are from here. Strangely, it's being from elsewhere that makes us belong. Your opening is this eclectic mix of people. Where are we and who are we? You Whereabouts are we? Where are we located in your novel? Uh, in Brunswick, in East Brunswick, to be exact. And what is it about East Brunswick that fascinates you? Oh, well, I, I live there. <laughs> but you set your novel there. Well, I don't live in East Brunswick. I live in Brunswick, Brunswick, but, you but know. <laughs> The opening is really this amazing mix of people and cultures. You have an eye for what is taking place in that community. Well, I I suppose because I'm a mix myself, I I said to Jan Jan that uh, um, I I was a mongrel, and she said no, I'm a hi- no. You said I was a Heinz variety. Heinz variety, <laughs> that it was kinds. better. But I think that's what attracts me to Australia is that Australia has the 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 shoulders and the big heart to attract so many different things and yet be intensely Australian all the same. It's an interesting sort of... And I of felt that from the very first day. Yeah. And that's what I... F- yeah. Well, that's, that's basically uh, where we start and that collection of people. Now, your novel introduces us to quite a mix. We've got Harold, Verity, Placido, Ben, Bernard, but... Harold's got a Czech background. Yes. Uh, Verity's Irish. Yeah. Placido? Placido is, a, is a Australian, but he's got an Italian background. Yeah. But Placido almost sounds Spanish. Yeah, it? yeah, no, but he's, he's, he's probably a mix. I mean, okay. he's, he's, he's actually somebody I'm, I'm, I, I knew in the streets. I'm, so do you he actually use actual people well, from the streets of Brunswick? Ben is someone I know, and he's the only real character. But um, Placido is someone I noticed in the street. And and who, who, who was always clinking and chinking and because you've got <laughs> people, had so many medals and earrings you, and piercings. You've got <laughs> people walking like Miss Marple and such like the way you describe the people that you see along the street, and so well the people in Brunswick should be framed. I mean, framed like a picture, not framed in the police station. <laughs> Well, there's a bit of that going on in Brunswick <laughs> as well. But all of these people, in some ways, also have a backstory. It's not just their colourful presence. They have a backstory uh, to them. Um, and as well as that, basically, um, what is uh, the sea and us? It's a particular feature. It's a fish and ship shop. Does it actually exist? Well, actually, it exists in reality because I... I, I, I my ex-partner had a second-hand bookshop and I, I worked there for six years. And next door was a fish and chip shop where people lived um, 
people lived and they rented the rooms above. And as I was sitting there writing, because there's long uh, beaches of time where you can work in a secondhand bookshop, and and uh, I I I I become obsessed by this empty place, by this place that was of. Uh, fish and ship shop but above the rooms were rented and people were coming out and I kind of created a geography in my mind of how the rooms were I'm not an architect but I became an architect for that fish and ship shop It's quite an amusing um, an eclectic mix of location and people and the like but we focus on Harold then he's been teaching in South Korea and he's been in a relationship that he's had to bring to an end Yes. Why is that? Well, how much can you tell us about the nature of that relationship without giving too much away? Um, well, um, I, I think he discovered something that 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 broke his 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 heart, and and he. I'm sorry. I think that's my phone. Don't talking. worry. Let it go. So Keep talking. Um, I should have turned it off. No, it's um, all right. So, yeah, but it, it broke his heart. But what? Like an egg, and you you know you just can't. You know, there was no omelette to be made and there was no no patching the egg up and he just had to leave, yeah. Yes, yeah, so... It was an emotional thing. But also then, his reasons. He had other reasons for going to South Korea in the first place. Yes, it was because of his family history. He left at 18 and he lived 18 years over there. So really then, the reason for him coming back to... Well, it's a double breakup in a way, a breakup with childhood and a breakup in adulthood. The two bookends of his life, he's, he's broken up. And then... But, Something but, has broken him at each end, sorry. That's all right. He's trying in some ways to reconcile his past and his present by returning to Australia. Yeah, because that's the last place where he can find himself, you know, where he goes back to where he... You know, it's like those migratory birds. They go back to where they 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 were born, and some go back to where they learned how to fly. Mm. The dwarf goose, they go back to where they learned how to fly. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and the other thing about Harold is he's a potter. Yes. Now, there's something about the moon jar that he makes. What's a moon jar? Well, it's a very big... Um, Jar that's that has the looks uh, very much like the moon in the sky, w w the knobbly you know moon, not not the pretty moon in fairy tale, but the the actual moon. It's 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 blotched and 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 a bit milky and like like one sees it a bit closer up, and it's a very beautiful object. And I was trying to and make and several potters have tried to make it. Sorry, that's all right. I was trying to make something symbolic out of this in terms of it, it's made of. Two halves that are joined together. Yeah, because it's so big and bulky that that's the only way they can do it. So that's the techniques of it. I, I was I was reading into this about the <laughs> connection of people as well, but you said that but, wasn't your intention. No, but you you were right in a way because the moon is 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 a it, 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 you know it's a sense of himself, a sense of wholeness. When when he does the moon he feels that all his little bits are well. Put he can together. express himself, and it takes it, on. It's a sealed puzzle of himself, like when he gets... But in many ways, the pottery that he creates takes on a sort of presence or the feeling of what he's been involved in at the time. It's an emotional expression. Yes, yes, it is. It, yeah, it's like a, a, a sealed puzzle. He, he's, he's, he's caught up all together again. And when he does that, it makes him feel 
hole, I think. Yeah. yeah. Now, though I would not attempt to know exactly what he thinks because people are so mysterious. Well, you, the, mm. this mysteriousness permeates all the characters because, as I said, they've all in some ways got a backstory of their own. The other thing about Harold is he's got a particular friendship with Mary Lou, who yeah. he's met in South Korea. Yeah. Uh, it's a friendship, not a relationship in, in that sense. How much can you tell us about Mary Lou without giving too much away? Well, she 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 also is traumatized. Um, I think it is also a novel. It is a novel about trauma and the characters who are traumatized connect um, subterraneously through their different uh, yeah. trauma and and they understand each other instantly, like um, like animals do. You know, I read in a book on animal emotion that the only way you can describe the way animals instantly understand each other is if a Chinese guy and an Irish guy meet and they've both read Dostoevsky and trauma <laughs> is the same thing. When you both had a trauma, you, 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 you suddenly understand because there's a level of suffering that makes us all together. Yes, but and Harold tries to help Mary Lou in many ways because he... Well, he just loves her. He, yeah. he doesn't want to... He's not um, Mr... You know, goody to shoes. He, he doesn't want to. Uh, he just loves her, and he he wants he wants to be with her. Uh, he loves her presence. You know, he's he, they're mates. They're mates, and they've got a particular way of communicating. Now, this notion of recognizing people, the trauma in people's lives, you've actually united them with a particular use of language here. You've taken the nautical terms flotsam, jetsam, and there are two other words that are in that list, ligan and derelict. Um, and so in many ways, it becomes a representation of the things we discard in our lives. Would you care to explain those terms, flotsam, I, jetsam, I, ligan I, I, and derelict? I'm sorry to contradict you, but I don't think it's the things that we discard in our lives. It's more it's the, the description of each person's despair or trauma or, or whatever they're suffering from. So some have still recuperable <laughs> bits of themselves they can come and get or save or co collect or reassemble and others just too far gone. Well, like the derelict, but, but uh, yeah. Yeah, and, but, but that sort of, <clears throat> the certain aspects of our lives that... Yes, uh, some, we can some pieces you lose completely and others yes. you can... Um, so flotsam and jetsam we know mm. in many ways. Flotsam is what is left floating uh, yes, and, yes. and is, is found. Yeah. Jetsam is... What's jetsam? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm terrible for definitions. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't have it on the tip of ah, my tongue. It, it's, it's what's being jettisoned from a boat. So when That's the, it. And when then the, the, others, the other two, some that you can still find that Ligon are half floating somewhere, and the last is something that's completely yeah, the, lost at the bottom of the sea. The derelict sea. is what yeah. can never yeah, be exactly. reclaimed. Exactly. Ligon so there's is, just levels of yeah. dereliction and, 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 yeah, that's and it. loss. Yes. And, and in some ways, it's. So I think it's a psychological. I thought it was a psychological simile that Harold really could understand he really was happy when he oh he thought that made sense to him yeah and and this is in some ways what's happened in our lives in terms of the things we can reclaim yeah. the relationships yeah. that are recuperable because i mean and some are not you and know, so, yeah. however much you try <laughs> and harold in some ways has come back to uh refined 
um, a past relationship. How much can you tell us about what's going on there? I, I don't think it's a past relationship. I know he, he wants to find um, what he's lost. Uh, he feels something scratching him at the tip of his stomach, but he can't find what it is, you know, and he's, I think he's come to to scratch that itch, you know, and, and find out what it was, and it, it, it is a relationship with his childhood, of a, something misunderstood, something dark that he wants to really bring to light, to light for himself. And, and that's the interesting thing. We often jettison things that we don't necessarily understand, and we make yeah, and we put it under the carpet, you know, we, we, we flush it, and not flush, because that would be more, <laughs> I should see, we hoover it back under, we brush it and sweep it under the carpet, yeah. <laughs> which and, is not good, I think. And the other interesting thing is mm. Mary Lou, who's actually come out from South Korea, ends up going back there uh, yeah. in some ways because she's lost as well. Yeah. Anyway, we are, in fact, going to have to finish the interview there. We've run out of time. The book is The Sea and Us, which is the name of a fish and chip shop. The author is Catherine de Saint-Fal, and it's from Transit Lounge, and it's about the interesting people. And Barry Scott and Tess Rice are the publishers. Indeed they are. They're very good publishers. Catherine, once again, thank you very much for coming in. Oh, thank you. Well, David, you had Catherine back, but I've got Emma Visick back. Welcome back, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. Now, Emma's brought back Caleb Zalek. Not in person. He's a character. He's, a, a, he's her creation. And he's now in the third book. He's a private investigator, good-looking, fit and vulnerable. <laughs> you better just ex- remind us what his vulner- vulnerability is. Um, I wanted to take... A really classic figure with Caleb, um, a really invulnerable figure, which is a straight white man who's an investigator, fit, active, and as you say, make him vulnerable. So Caleb is profoundly deaf and he lip reads and uses sign language. Um, He's incredibly good at moving between the deaf and the hearing worlds. His deafness absolutely is a strength, but it is, as you say, a vulnerability as well. Now, this book, Darkness for Light, can be read as a standalone book, but the reminders of the backstories were good for people who have read the others too. Caleb has a brother, but he's got a different vulnerability that we learnt in the last book. Uh, Yes, so... Caleb's brother Anton, um, he used to be very. They used to be very close in childhood. Mm. They've they've been through. Uh, I'd call it an estrangement and are trying to find their way back together. But um, Anton um, is a long term drug addict. Right, but he was the only family member who learned how to sign. <laughs> so there is that connection there. In contrast, Cat had sisters who were extremely close. Now, who's Kat? Kat is the love of Caleb's life. Mm. Uh, They met as teenagers. Uh, She is his rock. But, (laughs) of course, Caleb can't have everything he wants. Uh, Mm. And they have uh, been separated a few years. They both very much love each other still. Um, But... Caleb's uh, lack of uh, emotional openness has has very much um, destroyed their relationship, but they're trying to make a go of it at the beginning of Darkness for Light. Yeah, well, in the last book, 
because of his actions, she nearly got killed. Oh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> she does make a, a resurrection here, so we shall say. In the last book, Caleb met, trusted and relied on Tedesco. Now, there could be a friendship developing here, but what inside help? as a private investigator, can Tedesco give Caleb? Well, Tedesco is a homicide cop. He's also a bit on the outer in that he very much plays his own game. He has um, incredibly an incredibly strong moral compass. So he doesn't like assisting Caleb if it means stepping outside mm. uh, the, rules, the rules, but he is also um, a man who who can see and acknowledge and appreciate somebody who is trying to do the right thing. And I think um, if you were to describe Caleb in one sentence, it's a man who is trying to do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> it just everything, life gets in the way. Um, Tedesco also pointed, gave Caleb the name of a therapist. So Caleb is you know, really trying to do everything in his power to do the right thing. And this is a quote from the book. Caleb only took safe jobs now. Employee checks and embezzlement cases, security advice, nothing that could bring fear and violence back into his life. So he's got a new case, but his client wasn't there. Well, what was wrong with the client? I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that uh, his his uh, potential client is dead. <laughs> it's a crime novel. There is a dead body. Um, so poor old Caleb, as you say, he's, he's trying to make a go of his life. Uh, I think with um, book two and fire came down, he it's very much a, a novel about the aftermath of trauma and, and Caleb is falling apart in that and not making the right choices. So in Darkness for Light, he is he's trying very hard to get his life back on track. As you said, he is seeing a therapist. He is trying to reconnect with his ex-wife. He's trying to, in capital letters, make good decisions. Mm. Um, and he's also trying to reconnect with the deaf community, which he wow. hasn't been a part of since he was a, a all child. This, all this would be great if he also wasn't going to be blackmailed by Imogene. Now, I'm going to get um, Emma uh, Viskic to read just a little bit about what's, what, what all this is about. It's only a small bit. So Imogen is a character who appears briefly in And Fire Came Down and, uh, yes, reappears, unfortunately, in Darkness for Light. If Imogen wasn't a cop, he'd ignore her threats. If she was, he was in deep shit. Even if he could find Frankie... She'd never choose his well-being over hers. Frankie. Former Sergeant Francesca Reynolds, 58 years old and a mind like a serrated knife. Thinking about her only brought confusion. They'd been partners for five years, friends for longer, and the entire time she'd been secretly working for Crims to fund her addictions. She'd endangered Cat, lied and betrayed him, and then she turned around and risked her life to save him, but save them both. It would have been easier just to hate her. Yes, well, Imogene wants Caleb to find this old partner, Frankie, within 48 hours. So Caleb goes to Frankie's sister's house. And is she able to help him? Uh, <laughs> let's just say... Um, 
that there is not a great sight that that greets uh, Kayla when he goes to Maggie's house um, and he very quickly works out that uh, Frankie's sister is not going to be able to help him. He then becomes responsible for looking after Maggie's nine-year-old daughter, Tilda. And it's lovely that, you know, being nine-year-old, her questions about his deafness add a little bit of light relief. And one of the words she learns to sign first is auntie. So was she close to her auntie, Frankie? Yeah, so Tilda and, and Frankie are quite close. Um, Frankie is a character who is, is very brusque, very abrupt um, and, and quite... Um, Quite, she can be quite hard in her emotions, but her relationship with her niece Tilda shows a, a much uh, softer side to her and one that surprises Caleb a little bit. Mm. Um, Frankie and Caleb have been close for many years. Uh, maybe a, a sibling relationship, I think you could think of it. Um, Frankie, like Tilda, also is is very down-to-earth and matter-of-fact about Caleb's deafness as well, and that's one mm. of the reasons they're so close. Well, another quote from the book, because Frankie does come back to find Tilda. Mixing business with friendship, always a mistake. Now, look, as private investigators, they've built up a protocol of how to investigate without being detected. You know, using other people's Wi-Fi and their cars. And really, I've got to ask here, does wrapping a phone in aluminium really stop it getting messages? It does. It's a oh. little uh, portable Faraday cage. <laughs> yeah. oh. well, one of the great things about writing crime fiction is you get to do some fantastic research. So I found uh, microwaves can also block uh, oh, yeah. Wi-Fi and phone reception, as can fridges, refrigerators. They're a little bit big to big carry to around, get... though. Um, chip packets can also work, oh. as long as you seal them properly. <laughs> and Caleb also pays for the skills of Sammy. Now, she's only 17. Yeah, Sammy um, Sammy appeared in the first novel, Resurrection Bay, because I needed, um, I needed a little character who would be able to do some of that boring mm. computer stuff that can, on the page, actually just be dull to read. Um, so Sammy pretty much walked onto the page for me oh. and um, is quite uh, lippy. Doesn't um, doesn't treat Caleb very kindly, but um, there's obviously a bit of affection there as well. And yeah, as you say, she's she's a 17 year old schoolgirl and um, definitely knows her way around her a computer. <laughs> there are more bodies, and the connection seems to be Hollywood. Now Hollywood is not a place. <laughs> no, no, Hollywood is. Well, he's a bit of a murky figure for mm. most of the novel, and. Um, he is the, the man, the large man who people keep seeing and um, they're not quite sure of his connection to anything that's going on. There's also a beautiful escort called Quinn, a judge and a suburban lawyer, all mixed up. But why and how? Ah, Now, look, Caleb is seriously roughed up, both physically and verbally. But if he's trying to lip-read... It really is a problem. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the um, one of the advantages of having a character who's deaf is that it can really add to the tension in fight scenes. I went in when I first started writing Caleb's character. I thought um, it would mainly be problems. How would I write dialogue? Uh, how would I do the research? How would I make sure that I'm getting everything right? But in the end, um, there were I think as many 
benefits, particularly for a crime novel. So if there's someone sneaking up behind him, Caleb can't hear him. Mm. If he's trying to lip read while he's being interrogated and someone's standing too close, he can't read them. If there's not enough light, he also can't read them. So he and the reader are always a little unsure if he's knowing everything. Yes, yeah, so it's really quite funny. You know, it's good. Criminal, criminal activities don't go on in the bright daylight, <laughs> face on, slowly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's really quite inconvenient for him sometimes. And sometimes people who wear beards yes. can't enunciate with the, with the lips. But as you mentioned before... There is a signing community that he's attached to now. Who are they? Yeah, so the deaf community in uh, in Australia is is a really tight knit community, um, and it's um, so there's there's two definitions of deafness. There's small d deaf, which is about hearing or how much hearing you've got, and there's capital D deafness, which is um, when you identify as culturally deaf. You tend to use Auslan, Australian Sign Language, uh, to communicate and you um, are part of a very tight-knit community. Caleb has gone to a deaf school, so he was part of this community, but being a perpetual outsider, Mm. he has backed away from it as an adult and uh, in Darkness for Light, he is starting to try and make reconnections. So he is part of a a deaf cafe. He has friends there. Um, He's very good friends with the owner, who also ends up in a bit of a pickle and needs Caleb to help dig him so out. Caleb, you know, he's, he's, he's got these new friends, wants to be responsible, wants to be helpful, and then there's his life on the other side. I'm a bit mean to him sometimes. <laughs> no, of course, he's desperate to mend the relationship with Kat. I thought the way he could read her mind, read her mood, was refreshing to say at least. Look, um, Caleb might be a little bit um, slow in understanding his own motivations and emotions, but he's very fast to read cats, as you, as you say. He, um, it's partly his personality, but it's a lot to do with lip reading. When you lip read, and I have trained to lip read, and I am spectacularly bad at it, but Caleb is very good at it. When you lip read, you must look at the entire person. So it's not about your lips, it's about your mouth, your tongue, your entire expression, your body language. And because he's so attuned to Kat, he's very good at putting all those things together and knowing exactly what she thinks. And and also the type of tea she drinks at what particular time. Yes. Look, um, Emma Visick, the, the cover scene of the, the cover on the book, it's a scene on a pier with the Melbourne skyline in the background. It's a fabulous cover. And the, when it this scene finally appeared in the book. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, I've uh, been speaking with Emma Viskic, who has won so many prizes in crime novels from um, Ned Kelly and, and everywhere, and just come back from the USA on a tour. Yes, I was over there on an Australia Council uh, grant with three other crime writers, Jock oh. Sarong, Solari Gentle and uh, Robert Gott, oh, right. spreading the news about Australian crime fiction. Oh, I think you've got you've got much more bodies in your books than any of them. <laughs> uh, together, we we get quite a high body count. Okay, well, Caleb Zalek has a new motto in life: stay out of trouble. But murders seem to surround him. He will have to work with double-crossing partner again to solve the crimes in darkness for light. Thank you very much, Emma Vizik, and that book is published by Echo Publishing. Who says crime doesn't pay? <laughs> I talked to Catherine Disenfile about the sea and us, and it's a transit lounge release.
You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.